Good morning and welcome again. We're grateful for your presence. If you're visiting, we want you to feel as if you are an honored guest because you are. We would love to have you come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're very thankful for the many visitors who come our way from week to week. I do believe that we have a friendly congregation of people and we're always glad to have visitors with us. And it may be that you're looking for a church home and we would invite you to consider the work here. We've had a number of folks that have placed membership with us and we always encourage people if they are looking for a church home and if you're looking for a church home, we want to invite you to consider the work here. You would be an asset to this church and I know that the elders would be more than happy to sit down to talk to you, answer any questions that you might have about what's going on here at Olive Branch. Today we want to talk about for a minute or two the perfect candidate. This is, as you well know, an election year. Millions upon millions of dollars are going to be spent by political parties to put their candidates into political office. There are no perfect candidates in the world in which we live, but there is a perfect candidate that I want to talk to you about today. The candidate that I'm talking about is Jesus Christ. And what I want to do is to encourage you to elect him as the Lord of your life. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 1 that Jesus is the ruler over the kings of the earth. Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter 6 at verse 15 that Jesus is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Throughout the years that I've been preaching, my goal has been to encourage people to elect the Lord, that is the Lord Jesus, as the ruler of their life. And I want to do that today. There are three reasons why I believe Jesus is the perfect candidate. And there are three reasons why I believe that you ought to want to elect him as the perfect candidate in your life. Let me just share with you three reasons why I believe Jesus is the perfect candidate. Number one I want to talk about is character. What's the old saying, character counts? When we talk about somebody's character, really what we're emphasizing is their reputation. And reputation means a lot. There are many political candidates that understand the importance of a good reputation. I want to begin by talking about the pedigree of Jesus. What about his pedigree? Did you know that the Bible tells us a number of things about this perfect candidate. For example, we know where he was born, we know when he was born, and we know to whom he was born. The Bible tells us that Jesus was buried, or rather was born in Bethlehem of Judea. The prophets of old foretold of the birth of Jesus Micah identified his birthplace. 
Jesus, of course, was born about 2,000 years ago. And then we know he was born to Mary and his earthly father, Joseph. When we look at scripture, the Bible tells us that Jesus was of the seed of woman. Paul would say in Galatians chapter four at verse four, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law. That I think emphasizes the planning and the forethought of Almighty God in bringing his son into the world. Jesus came into this world at just the right time. And then, not only does the Bible tell us that Jesus is of the seed of woman, but he is identified as coming from the seed of David. He is, after all, the son of David. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus asked the Pharisees on one occasion, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And their response, the son of David. Jesus descended through the family of David. And then we find also in Matthew chapter 20 at verse 28, he is called the son of man and then the son of God, according to John chapter one. So you have Jesus of the seed of woman, the son of David, the son of man, the son of God. If you want documentation Regarding the birth of Jesus, here it is right here. It's interesting to look at the accounts that are given in scripture regarding the descent of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter one, you have his kingly descent. And then Luke also traces the descent of Jesus. What, what are the writers trying to do? They are trying to show members of the human family, that's you and me, that Jesus is not, was not a fictitious character. We have documentation that he existed. And then there is a second thing I would call attention to as we think about the character or reputation of Jesus, and that is his profile. There are a lot of terms that are used to describe the Son of God or the Son of Man. There are a lot of things that are said about the character of Jesus when you begin to profile him. I think it's always helpful to profile somebody, to get an idea of what kind of person you're talking about. Let me begin by saying, first of all, that when it comes to Jesus, he is spotless. I want to ask this question. What political candidate do you know of today that has a spotless reputation? I do not know of one candidate that has a spotless reputation. But I can assure you Jesus does. In 1 Peter chapter 1 at verse 19, the Bible says that Christ was without spot and without blemish. There are no blemishes on his resume. 
There are no skeletons in the closet. There's nothing that's going to leak out to the press whereby people look at him and say, you know, I just don't know about his character. There are no charges that can be leveled against him that are warranted in any way. You see, Jesus was sinless, spotless, blameless. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 21, him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when you talk about the perfect candidate, one of the reasons why he is perfect is because he has a spotless reputation. Let me give you another, another interesting characteristic about Jesus as it relates to his reputation. And that is not only is he spotless, but the Bible says he is humble. One of the things that strikes me about some political candidates is their pride, their arrogance. And yet, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, the passage read a moment ago, that Jesus humbled himself. When you look at the life of Jesus, what do you see? Somebody who was humbly going about his work on a daily basis. In a very humble way, he built a resume that is the resume of all resumes. And then add to that a third really important characteristic. Jesus came to serve. He was a servant of the people, for the people, and to the people. Look at his life. Paul said he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, yes, even the death of the cross. But he prefaces that by telling us that Jesus became flesh. He was God and he became God incarnate. He took upon himself human likeness. And according to the Apostle Paul, he became a servant. He came to serve. Look at the political candidates in our world today. Now listen, you may disagree with me here. But when I look at a lot of the political candidates across the landscape of our country, do you know what I see? I see a lot of people who are interested in being served rather than serving. Jesus came to serve. There may be a lot of things you can say about Jesus Christ, but one thing is absolutely certain. He came to serve, and he did serve. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about, it wasn't about trying to make a name for himself, so to speak. It wasn't about cultivating a group of followers that would serve his needs, so to speak, but rather he came to serve. Now, he wants us to serve him in a very real way. Let me give you another characteristic. Jesus is forgiving. You know, some people in our world today and political candidates are not immune to this. They hold grudges, don't they? 
And if they are wrong, they try to wrong the offending party. Sometimes candidates will get into office and they will make it their business to steamroll a group that they perceive as enemies. When you look at the life of Jesus, what do you see? You see somebody who demonstrated forgiveness. In Mark chapter two, Jesus extended forgiveness. He said that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. In Luke chapter 23, when Jesus was about to die for the sins of the world, one of the thieves on the cross said, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. What does that imply? It implies forgiveness, doesn't it? So Jesus is forgiving. And then there is another characteristic that I would underscore very quickly. His leadership. I'm not so sure that leaders are born. I think they are made. But Jesus was born to lead. You want to talk about somebody who has every, everything that it takes to be a leader? Then you're talking about this candidate. Jesus is the perfect candidate because he has the, the ability to lead people. And he does it so effectively. I mentioned just a moment ago, Revelation chapter one, where the Bible talks about how Jesus is the ruler over the kings of the earth. Paul said that he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Did you know that Jesus has the ability to lead you in this life? That if you and I will simply take the precepts that are set forth in this book that we call the Bible, and that if we will live in conformity to what this book teaches, we will reach our appointed destination. That's the ability that Jesus possesses to lead. Now there's a second thing I want to talk about as we consider the perfect candidate. The Bible tells us about his character, but what about his credibility? Let me ask this question. When you look at political candidates in our country today, or around the, around the world for that matter, how much credibility do they have with you? What about their reliability? When I look at political candidates and as I listen to political candidates stump, as we say from time to time, they will oftentimes make campaign promises. They'll talk about what they're gonna do, what they're not gonna do, what they're gonna do for people and what they're not gonna do for people. What's the bottom line? You really don't know, do you? I mean, they can promise you the moon, but that doesn't mean they're going to be able to deliver. Look at Jesus. Let's just think for a minute about his faithfulness to his word. When you look at the life of Jesus, there are two things that you have to really look at. Number one, you have to think about his faithfulness as it relates to his word and then his faithfulness as it relates to his work. Now somebody might ask the question, where are you going with this? Let me just explain. Let's look at some of the 
statements that Jesus made. And let's see if he fulfilled those promises. Jesus, during his ministry, acknowledged that he came to do the Father's will, didn't he? He said, my work is to do the will of him who sent me, in John 4, verse 34. In chapter 6, verse 38, he would say, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus came for the purpose of dying for the sins of the human family. We know that Jesus came to shed his blood for the purpose of saving us from sin. Before he died, Jesus instituted a memorial feast. And he said, this is the blood of the New Testament which is shed for what? For the remission of our sins. Jesus came to earth with the intent of shedding his blood for our sins. Let me ask this question. Did he fulfill that promise? Absolutely. So when Jesus came to earth to die for sin, he accomplished that purpose. Do you remember what he said in John chapter 17, verse 4, to the Father before he went to the cross? He said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. A second thing. Jesus promised to build the church. In Matthew chapter 16, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that you are Elijah. Others are saying you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus then asked the question, but whom do you say that I am? And they said, you are the Christ. Peter did. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus responded by saying, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and, blood, flesh and blood is not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I also say unto you that upon this rock I will build my church. Jesus promised to build the church. Did he fulfill that promise? Read Acts chapter two. The birth of the New Testament church in verse 47, the Bible says, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So here's another promise that Jesus made. Let me give you another promise Jesus made. Jesus promised eternal life to those who would obey him. In John 3:36, he said that those who believe in the Son have everlasting life. Those who do not believe in the Son, who do not obey the Son, will not enjoy life. When Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins, what did he promise us? He promised us eternal life, didn't he? We know that we live in hope of life eternal, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began, according to Titus chapter 1, verse 2. So here's another promise. And then I think about Jesus before he ascended to heaven. Said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. 
I go to prepare a place for you. Did Jesus ascend to heaven? Yes, he did, according to Acts chapter 1. What's he doing? He is preparing for us an eternal abiding place. Now let's just pause here and think about everything Jesus has said and done. Jesus promised to save us through his blood. Is that right? Yes, it is. So we can say, done. Did Jesus promise to build the church? Yes, he did. Was he able to do that? Yes, he did. So we can say what? Done. Did Jesus say that those of us who are baptized into him will enjoy salvation? That we will have the promise of life eternal? Yes, he did. So what can we say? Done. Did Jesus promise that he would ascend to heaven to begin building for us an eternal abiding place? Yes, he did. So what can we say? Done. And the Bible tells us he's going to come again. He's made that promise. Let me tell you what. Look at his track record. When I look at the track records of some of the candidates all across our country, you know what I see? Broken promises. Unreliability. Saying one thing and doing another. Promising this and promising that and never able to, to fulfill what they've said. You can look at administration after administration after administration, and I don't care who's in office. What are you going to find? Failed promises. Failed expectations. Jesus lived up to every promise. If he had failed in one promise, he wouldn't be worthy of wearing the title, the perfect candidate. Now, there's a third thing I want to share with you very quickly. And that is the charitableness of Jesus, his riches. You know, sometimes when people are trying to get elected to office, they try to sell, they try to sell the public on what they're going to be able to do for them. You know what I'm talking about. They make all these grandiose promises and they say, if you will elect me, my administration, here's what I'm going to do for you. Let me tell you what. When it comes to the track record of some candidates, I wouldn't bank on it. I wouldn't put a lot of stock in what they've got to say. For that matter, I wouldn't put a lot of stock in what they have to offer. But when it comes to Jesus, I know what he has to offer. I've seen his track record. I know he can produce because he has. Let me tell you some of the things that Jesus has to offer. Let me tell you some of the things that if you will elect him to be the Lord of your life, here's what you can expect. You can expect, first and foremost, unconditional love. Did you know that Jesus loves people? Sometimes I wonder about some folks, whether or not they really care about people, whether or not they really love people. I don't question the love of Jesus. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, then a man laid down his life for his friends. Jesus demonstrated his love for us in going to the cross. It is, it's absolutely 
verifiable that he loves us, that he's always loved us, that he'll always love us. Despite what we may say, despite what we may do, despite where we may go, Jesus has always loved us. He will always love us. So that is love. There's another thing that Jesus promises, and that is liberty. In other words, when you come to Christ, you can expect liberation from sin. Jesus said in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. Did you know that through Jesus you can escape the guilt of sin? Paul said in Romans chapter 8, there is, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. When you obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, every sin is hurled into infinity. The psalmist in the long ago said, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. To know that every sin is washed away, done away, when we come to Jesus in simple trusting faith, believing that he is who he claims to be, the Son of God. To know that when we repent of our sins, confess his name, and are immersed in water, that we enjoy forgiveness, liberation. That's a great thing. To know that Jesus has the ability to save us from every sin. There's a third thing that Jesus can give you, and that is life. Now I understand that Jesus promises eternal life, but let me tell you this, Jesus has the ability to give you what I would say is a quality life. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. One of the things that's being asked right now by many people all across our country is, has the quality of our lifestyle improved over the past few, past few years? When you look at the life of a child of God, the track record says, it's a better life. I can show you from the scriptures the lives of people. I can show you countless numbers of people whose lives were made better by a relationship to God. Look around in our world today. Look at our, look at our nation. And look at the upheaval in the lives of so many people Look at, look at individuals all across our country whose lives are marred by drunkenness and continual alcohol consumption, chemical drugs, prescription drugs, promiscuity. The list goes on and on. I want to ask you this question. Do you really think when they go to bed at night, they can go to bed and say, you know what, I've got a great life. All right, granted, maybe some can because the Bible talks about the pleasures of sin. But let me tell you what, there are a whole lot of folks in this world today, they think they're happy. 
the hard truth of the matter is they are broken within. Their lives are upside down. When it comes to a quality life, it's a joke. They're not happy. They're not happy at all. So, I want to close by saying this. When we talk about elections, in particular, when we talk about electing the Lord as the ruler of our life, there are, there are a couple of things that we need to think about. First and foremost, there are three people casting votes. Number one, God has a vote. Here's what God's vote is. God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So here's God's vote. God's vote is, I want you to elect my son. The second person with a vote is the devil. And the devil wants you to make him the ruler of your life. You see, the Bible tells us that the devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He has a vote in this thing. And he's doing everything that he can to make a life of sin appealing and tantalizing to you. Because you see, he wants to be your ruler. He wants to be your Lord. He wants to be your God. Paul identified him as the God of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. There is a third vote. And here is the important vote. Important because that vote belongs to you. We know God wants you to be saved. We know the devil wants you to be, he wants you to be condemned. It comes down to this. You have to decide. When we elect a president, a senator, a congressman, a mayor, whatever it may be, we go into a polling booth and we make our choice. You have to make the choice about this candidate. He is the perfect candidate. What I would encourage you to do is vote Jesus. Make him the Lord of your life. He has the ability to lead. A second thing I would say in connection with this is that if families all across our country would elect Jesus as the Lord of their lives, we would see a changed landscape. America would be different. 
The reason is because men and women have decided to elect the perfect candidate. And if we will follow him and his word, we will be blessed. What about you today? What's your choice? What's your vote? God has cast his vote. The devil's cast his vote. It's up to you now. If you've never obeyed the gospel, this is the hour to do that. Now is the time to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. The Lord will then add you to the church, Acts 2.47, where you will be numbered among the redeemed, Ephesians 5.23. The promise is that if you are faithful until death, you will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. If you're here today and your life is not what it ought to be as a child of God, I would remind you that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You can make it right today as we stand and sing.